Several years ago, I uh, went for a holiday uh, gathering at a restaurant here in town with a bunch of friends. There were probably about eight to ten guys, and it was before Christmas, and so the place was just packed. And uh, our waitress came, and she took our order, and we kind of just got lost in kind of just the conversations. You know how that goes. It's a big group, a lot of a lot of interaction, a lot of laughter, a lot of stories. And uh, then we started noticing that people who came after us were seated after us. They started getting their food, and we still hadn't gotten our order. So we checked with the waitress, and she went back. And the next thing we know, the manager was there, and he was saying, "Hey, we're sorry." Uh, Something happened. Your waitress put the orders in the computer, but there was a glitch. And uh, so the kitchen never got your orders. And so, as a result of that, your your meals are going to be free today. So there's a table full of guys like going, yeah. Now, I will tell you that a lot of the guys that I was eating with, they do not need to have a free meal, okay? (laughs) For two reasons. Because they're big dudes and they also have plenty of resourcing, right? So when, they, when the uh, manager left, this one guy at the table said, since we're not going to have to pay for our meal, why don't we leave just a crazy tip for our waitress? He said, she's, I found out she's single and uh, single mom, and so why don't we just blow her away, right? And so we said, okay, great. So we pulled, he said, and this is what he said. He said, and I will leave 100 bucks to start us. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. I mean, it's on now, right? So he's like, he's like kind of almost, I think, baiting everyone else. Right? I'm going to put 100 in. What are you guys doing, right? And uh, I had a credit card. Uh, <laughs> so I gave somebody else's money <laughs> that day. But what was fun about this was watching the electricity around the table. All of a sudden now, guys are saying, let's do this. And so we pulled all this money together, and when the waitress came, she opened up that little folder, and she just started to cry in a good way. She was just so moved by it. And then as we're getting up, kind of, because we're all dudes, and it's a little bit awkward for us when a woman starts crying, okay? (laughs) We're like, okay, good. We thought this would be funner, you know? (laughs) I didn't mean to make you cry. And she goes, you don't get it. She goes, this means the world to me and my kids, especially right before Christmas. It is so much fun when you can bless someone, when you can be generous in such a way that it moves someone like that. And you know, generosity is an important part of what it means to be a steward. Last week, we studied about how God created all that exists, and he owns it all. And we read in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It all belongs to God. But we also saw where God has raised up men and women to rule over his creation. We talked about how men and women are stewards entrusted by God to manage all that he owns. That word entrusted. That's the title of this series where we are exploring how we can be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us to use for his kingdom. And the title of this talk today is Portrait of a Steward. Paul points out part of the portrait of a steward 
of God in Colossians, the third chapter, verses 23 and 24. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. More often than not, when we think about stewardship or we talk about stewardship, the, the focus is on how we manage our finances and, and our faithfulness in giving our tithes and our offerings. And though that is part of it, I hope through the, this series of messages, all of us will develop a better understanding of what stewardship is, that it's more than just money. As Paul wrote, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Whatever you do. So it includes the management of our time, our talents, certainly our treasure, as well as our testimony. As God's stewards, we use our whole being as an investment to achieve God's mission. Stewards recognize something about God. They recognize that he is sovereign that he's in control, and that in itself is part of what motivates the follower of Christ to move into action, performing deeds that reveal our faith in Jesus. So here's the key point for our talk today. God's steward invests in God's mission. God's steward invests in God's mission. Today I want us to explore three expectations of how Every Christ follower, every steward should invest in God's mission. And the first is this, invest in God's mission by serving, by serving. The Greek word doulos is translated in the New Testament either slave or servant. To be honest with you, though, the word servant is inadequate in communicating the depth of the meaning of the word doulos. Human history has marred, has been marred by the stain of slavery, which makes the word slave a dreadful word. In fact, we we don't want to use it. We don't want to draw attention to it. And yet, that's the meaning of this Greek word. To follow Jesus, to live for Jesus, means to freely choose to be a doulos for Jesus. To choose to come under the direction of his authority, which is totally loving and completely giving. Slaves of Jesus are not coerced, we're not forced, we're not held in bondage, we are there by choice. We have come to be a doulos, to surrender our lives in order to faithfully serve our king and his body, the church. That that term body is a biblical metaphor that is used to explain the structure and the function of the church. Paul writes this about the body in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. For example, the body, he's referring to the church here, is one unit and yet has many parts. As all the parts form one body, so it is with Christ. By one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we are Jewish or Greek, slave or free. God gave all of us one spirit to drink. 
On the one hand, this metaphor explains to us the importance of the entire church family. Paul says the body is one unit, which means we're, we're united together. But Paul continues, he says, the body is one unit, and yet it has many parts. And so Paul then emphasizes the importance of each individual being part of the body and the uniqueness of each individual. You see, without the various parts, there would be no body. Each part has a unique role, and the body depends on each part fulfilling its role. 1 Corinthians 12 is a powerful picture of what a healthy church looks like each person having a role and every role includes some facet of serving our role is to put others before oneself when each of us become a believer in Jesus the mandate to gather together is the same it's meet together serve together and minister together which is applied to every single one of us immediately when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. When you become a part of a local church, one role you have is to find a place to serve. Most churches have a variety of ministries where you can get involved immediately. We're not supposed to be spectators. We're supposed to be Participants, don't wait to be served by others. Start serving. If you'd like to learn more about the opportunities that we have here at Northeast to serve, I encourage you to check out our Church Center app that Philip was recommending and referring to earlier. Or you can go to ncclex.org slash serve and you can, you can actually sign up there as well. Or you can stop out at the lobby desk, the main desk in the lobby, and they can answer any questions that you have. So, invest in God's mission by serving. The second expectation of every, ser- of every steward is that they should invest in God's mission by giving. Now, there are two books that I've been reading that have been a great resource for me during this entire study on stewardship. I pulled some, a lot of the biblical exegesis from these two leaders. Charles Lane wrote a book called Ask, Thank, Tell, and then Tom Rainer wrote a book called I Am a Christian. And uh, in, in those two books, a wealth of knowledge. But one of the things that Rainer wrote in his book, I Am a Christian, he said, Much debate about giving to the church is focused on what we are required to give rather than what we are blessed to give. Think about that for a minute. Rather than being an act of joy as God intended giving to be, giving has often become a legalistic obligation, like a weight on us. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he commended them for their giving Because it was an example to other churches and to other believers. Listen to what he writes in 2 Corinthians 9, the last part of verse 2. He says, in fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. Our generosity can actually inspire others to be generous. Paul then summarizes basis 
for giving in verses 7 and 8 of 2 Corinthians 9. He says this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul wants us to know that it is significant to God when we give from our heart. In fact, he says that God will bless that. And when we reflect on all that goes into our decision to give, I want to encourage you to consider three characteristics of giving that the Bible emphasizes. The first is this. Be an intentional giver. Being intentional means giving, uh, when, being intentional when giving, excuse me, means developing a plan for giving. 2 Corinthians 9 uh, Six and seven, we read seven earlier. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you, if you are to give what you've decided in your heart to give, as Paul says, then you need to decide in advance what you will give. To be intentional means to make up your mind, to develop a plan for giving, and then put that plan into action. But I want to encourage you to be aware that when you do that, there will be a point on your journey of life when your giving plan will be challenged. It will come under assault. You'll have an unexpected bill or a need that comes up, and you will be tempted to deviate from your giving plan. And this is when your faith in God is going to be tested. It'll be revealed. Two weeks ago in the sermon, we read Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This verse has a meaning, and it sounds Direct, and it is very direct. He says, seek first God's kingdom. And all these things that you need, God's going to make available to you. We are to seek the things of God as a priority over the things of this world. And if we're taking care of God's business, if we have made it a priority, then he will take care of our business as he promised And because that's the arrangement, you and I don't have to worry in those moments. Ann and I have had a number of those moments where we weren't really sure how we were going to make a certain payment or provide a certain thing. Uh, But God has always been faithful. I'll tell you one little story that illustrates this. Our girls were were much younger. They were elementary age at the time, and we were making a trip back from visiting our family in Iowa. We were somewhere in the middle of Illinois when, uh, on the interstate, I ran over something in the road. And, uh, man, it made a bunch of noise when I ran (laughs) over it and kind of jarred the van. And so I pulled the van off to the side of the road and 
looked around to see if there was any damage, see if anything was leaking or anything. And all I got to one of the tires, and I could hear air coming out of it. I could hear the hissing sound. So we hopped in, I hopped back in the van and took off to the next exit. I mean, there was nothing around. Pulled off one gas station, little convenience store. They had no one there that could help with, you know, repairing a tire. But they said, there's a guy. He's a farmer. He lives just about down this road and over here. Gave us directions. Next thing I knew, I'm driving down a gravel road in the middle of Illinois. Cornfields on both sides of me. And as I'm going down, I'm thinking, this could be a terrible mistake. And then all of a sudden, this farmhouse appears on the left side of the road. And it's, it's described the way the guy at the convenience store described it. So we pull right in there. And out comes this guy. And he couldn't have been nicer. And sure enough, he had a shed where he did car repairs. And he said, bring the van in here. His wife came out to met Ann and our girls, offered him something to drink and you know, we just kind of fell right in with these folks. And it was only a matter of probably 15 minutes before he had the tire repair and we were getting ready to leave. And I went to pay him and he said, I don't want any payment. And I said, we don't have a lot. But I was going to be, I just wanted to bless this guy for his blessing for us. He had no idea, you know. He had no idea where we would have been uh, to change the tire, drive with the donut on it, the next, you know, 300 miles, not a great idea. And as Ann and I were driving away, he finally took our, we didn't have a lot of cash, but I gave it to him, and um, we were driving away, and, and we were just talking about how grateful we were for this blessing. And then Ann looked at me, and she said, do you think, do you think they were real? <laughs> so what do you mean? She goes like, do you think maybe they were angels? And I started thinking, wouldn't that just be like God in the middle of nowhere to either have a farmer who does this or just say, hey, just put an angel over there for a while. Whatever the case was, when Ann and I first got married, we planned that we were going to be people who give intentionally. We were going to give 10% of our income, and we would just trust God the rest of the time. And... God has showed up more times than I can tell you. This is just one of those small ones, just a tiny one. The rest of the time, uh, over the course of time, we've seen our faith just flourish and grow as a result of that. So be an intentional giver. The second characteristic of a biblical giver is be a regular giver. To be a regular giver means to establish a pattern, come up with a plan, regular giving, and then put that plan into action. And do it regularly. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, he said, On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. In the uh, biblical times, it was most common for workers to be paid every day at the end of the workday. And so for them to be a regular giver meant setting aside something each day and then to give it at worship at the end of the week. Today, to be a regular giver means that whenever you receive your paycheck or your direct deposit, however you're paid, you give an amount that you've decided to give. To, to be intentional means to develop a plan, but to give regularly means to follow the plan, which brings us to the third characteristic of a 
biblical giver, and that's be a generous giver. When it comes to biblical giving, generosity is the most basic stewardship value. It's hard to imagine anyone who is serious about living for Jesus who's tight-fisted with their income when it comes to investing in God's work through the church. But it's also equally difficult to imagine a person who's a tither, who's really generous, who isn't serious about making disciples. In Luke, the 12th chapter, verse 34, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The point is this, if your treasure is with Jesus, then your heart is going to be with Jesus too. Unfortunately, we also need to recognize that if one's heart isn't with Jesus, if it's somewhere else, then that person's heart likely is somewhere else too. This may sound kind of harsh, but I think it's important because it's a biblical truth that we should try to seek to live by. Paul reminds us, in 2 Corinthians 9 8. Let me read this one more time. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What Paul's saying is this God's providing so that you can abound in every good work. God's incredible generosity is the basis for our calling to be a generous giver. We will never outgive God. Amen to that. As Christians, one of our key premises of faith has to be that we'll always have enough because God provides for us all that we need. So, since God has been so generous, we can and we must be generous as well. One last point. If you're wondering where you should give, I heard Kerry Newhoff just this last week uh, in a webinar, he uh, He's a highly respected Christian leader in, in uh, Christendom right now. He was asked the question about where should a person give, you know, if they want to be a generous giver. And this is what he said. He said, give to the church because the church is God's chosen instrument. Now, you can give to the church and then give other places, but I do think it's important that you start with the church. So if you want to begin investing in God's church, you, again, go to the app or go to ncclex.org slash give and you can get started. All right, let me, let me bring this to close. Investing God's mission by serving, investing God's mission by giving, and then the third expectation of every steward is to invest in God's mission by sharing your testimony. A person's testimony is their story of how Jesus saved them. Every Christ follower has a testimony, it's, and every Christ follower is called to share that testimony. If the gospel was important for you to know, then surely it's important to share it with others as well. You agree? Jesus died on the cross, and then he was resurrected from the dead, and before he left, before he ascended into heaven, he left his followers a few instructions. They're among the last words on earth, and they're important words, and so we should heed these words carefully. One of the best known of these instructions is what we call the Great Commission. It's great because the message is a very, very important message, and it's called a commission because it represents the marching orders for all of the followers of Jesus. 
We read this in Matthew 28, verses 18, 18 through 20. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. We're commissioned by Jesus to go and share the gospel. Go and make disciples. And when we share, we will see the work of the Holy Spirit as people become disciples. You know, we can't make someone follow Jesus. We're just the conduit that he works through. It's his spirit that convinces people to follow Jesus. So when we see the spirit of God bringing people to conversion, then we're to baptize them, and then to teach them all that we know. Now, why is all this important? Well, if you have small kids, you're raising small children in your home, or if you've ever raised small children, you have heard the question, why, asked in your home. Why? Why? And every good parent will eventually result to this answer. Because I said so, that's why. And there's a bit of this here with Jesus. Why should we share? Because this is the plan. This is why. You know, sometimes I want to know the answer to the question why, and sometimes you do too. Jesus left no doubt about why we should share our testimony. We see this the last time he met with his disciples. It was called the Last Supper. Jesus had gathered his disciples together for one last time before he went to the cross. He wanted to make sure they understood what this was all about, all that was about to happen. He told them that he was leaving. But they didn't, it was obvious to Jesus they didn't know what he was talking about. Initially, he told them not to worry. We read all this in John 14, verses 1 and 2 initially. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Jesus, I think, is pretty obvious. He's referring where he's going. He's going to heaven. And he adds that while he's there, he's going to prepare heaven for them, and then he's going to return for them. Verses 3 and 4 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. But one of the disciples didn't know where the place was that he was going. And he asks for clarity. It's Thomas. We read this in verse 5. He says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And we don't know whether this was just Thomas's original thought, single only to him, or as he's just sharing the prevailing feelings of the rest of the disciples. In either case, Jesus responds with powerful clarity. This is a great verse. You should highlight or underline it in your, pass, in your Bible if you haven't highlighted this passage yet. He says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was crystal clear that we should share with others that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus is the only way to heaven. 
No one goes to heaven except through faith in Jesus. Now, that might not mean anything in that moment, but it will mean something within the days to come because Jesus will be executed by the Romans who were experts in execution. And then three days later, he would rise to life from the grave. And that in itself qualifies this statement to be significant. Why do we need to share our story? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We need to tell people that truth. We who are believers, followers, who've been chosen as stewards, we've been chosen, we've been deputized to tell others about Jesus. So let me give you three things to do very quickly to tell Jesus' story. The first is this, be a good friend. Be a good friend to those you want to share the gospel with. Here's the reason why. We should earn the right to be heard. We should earn the right to be heard. And we earn that right by caring for those who we want to share the good news with. We want them to know we care about them, we love them. We should serve them. We should be there for them, to support them and encourage them. It's only then that your friends and your family will recognize that you have something to share when you've earned the right to share it. The second thing then is to tell your story of how Jesus changed your life. As I told you before, every one of us has a testimony. That's the story of God's change, his redemptive power in our life. Now, you don't need to be a theologian to share the gospel. Just share your story of God's forgiveness and the new life that you have because you've been forgiven. And then the third thing is invite them to join you for worship. Invite them to come with you for some gathering, a Bible study, a worship service, some kind of uh, Bible class. In his book, I Am a Christian, Tom Rainer shared a data point from research by Church Answers. This was the data point. Nearly three out of four unchurched people say they would attend a worship service if they were invited. That's almost 75%. The truth is, a simple invitation could make an eternal difference in someone's life, someone's life who you love, and you don't want to miss out on heaven. Every week, we have an opportunity to invite family, friends, coworkers, neighbors to come with us. But this Christmas, we have this amazing opportunity to invite them to join us for Christmas Eve service. Now I know that's over a month away. But I want to encourage you to start praying right now, asking God to reveal to you who you should invite, asking him to give you opportunities to build into those relationships, to care for them, to love them, to serve them, and then asking him to give you the courage and the open door of an opportunity to invite them to come with you to one of the easiest invitations you'll ever make to a worship service. Let me close with this. Why does stewardship matter? Why does investing by serving and giving and sharing the gospel, why does that matter? Because I think as that's a function as a steward that when we make those investments, we can be making an eternal difference 
You see, we can influence two things. One, we can bless God. And two, we can change the eternal destiny of other people. And both of those things will last for all eternity. The most significant contributions that any of us will make are the things that will last for eternity. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this group. I thank you for their patience and their attention today. I thank you, God, for the opportunity that you've entrusted us, your people, followers of yours, to be stewards of all that you've created, that you've blessed us with, and you call us, God, to invest, to help facilitate your mission, to forcefully advance it, to move it in this world, to be light in the darkness as parts of your body, the church. I pray, God, that we will all serve and give and share our story of how you changed our lives. Use us, Lord, to help save the world for all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name.